Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick. Joining me today is my medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. Today, we're going to take another non-COVID topic, or at least maybe a peripherally related COVID topic, and talk about entitled CO2. And to be honest, most of the listeners out there, I'm assuming in 2020, have loads of experience using entitled CO2 tracings. And to be honest, probably more experienced than I do as an ED physician. Capnography wasn't ubiquitous when I trained, so we'll get that out of the way to start. But the entitled waveform has become really vital, a vital sign in the pre-hospital setting. And through today's episode, we're going to review some of the common uses and common clinical scenarios where entitled CO2 can change, modify, improve our patient management. So let's start with some basics. Give us some of the, just sort of the building blocks, the foundational facts with entitled CO2 capnography. Right, let's start with where it comes from, right? CO2 is a byproduct of cellular respiration. Everybody makes it. And our lungs normally dump this at a given rate. So the normal value we have if you measure it at end expiration is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. I like this entitled for many, many different reasons. One of them, it's kind of diagnostic and therapeutic. That meaning that you can take a high CO2 Uh, and your clinical exam findings in like a COPD or an asthma patient, and that will correlate with retaining CO2 in those obstructive lung diseases. On the other flip side of that, we can have a DKA patient who we see a low CO2. And why is that? Because they're expiring, they're hyperventilating. They have those deep uh, tachypnic respirations Why? Because they're dumping CO2, they're equilibrating, they're using their respiratory compensatory mechanism for their metabolic acidosis. So I I really like Entitl because I think that number gives us, uh, it it can be diagnostic and can help us with the therapy. So let's let's back up maybe one step from DKA and asthma, and let's talk about what expired CO2 reflects. Where does it come from? And if you think about that when you get to asthma and we get to DKA, hopefully that will help you understand why the value is what it is. So first of all, if we don't make energy, no carbon dioxide waste is produced. So the first thing in title reflects is cellular metabolism. So in a patient like a sepsis patient or a hemorrhagic trauma patient that's not perfusing, they're not going to, they're not going to make any waste. And if they're not perfusing, that CO2 can't be dumped in the lungs. So even if they're metabolizing, if they're bleeding out of their neck wound, they're not going to have perfusion to dump the CO2 in the lungs. Then we have a group of patients like the COPD patients that you mentioned. If the metabolism's intact, the perfusion's intact, but they can't ventilate, then they're not going to be able to dump the CO2 out. So it may not be a metabolism issue. It may not be a perfusion issue. It may be a ventilation issue. So it can be one of those three, two of those three, or really all, depending on the the clinical scenario. But think about the fact that that's where it comes from. It has to come from byproduct of making energy. So we've got to be, we've got to be, the mitochondria have to be firing. 
the heart has to be pumping and we have to have perfusion and we also have to have ventilation for that entitled CO2 to be, to be expired. Then finally, kind of asterisk, the, the equipment has to be working. And that's always sort of a caveat for all of these things. So Casey, if I was going to rephrase that in my very simplistic terms, could I say super dead already, not perfusing well and almost dead, not ventilating well, and the equipment's just not working, yep. either hypo or hyperventilating. So, I mean, we're going to get to how did we use this in CPR and ROS, but I would say there's almost never a never in, in medicine, but have you ever seen in someone that wasn't completely super dead for a long time an end title of zero? No. No, me neither. No. Nope. Yeah. So we've talked about the basics. We talked about where end title comes from. Tell us how you think through elevations, how you think through declines. Right. I, when I th see an elevation, I think some obstructive lung disease, typically. Um, that being the most common for us is COPD and asthmatic patients. Remember, is there, it's, a, it's a ventilatory compromise where they can't exhale completely. They have difficulty due to airway obstruction. And what happens with that is they have an inadequate volume of CO2 that's exhaled. That level goes up in the respiratory gases that are measured. Uh, and then hypocarbia, uh, uh, I think of someone in the, in the right clinical scenario, I think about a metabolic acidosis. Um, those patients can be very tachyptic and low. The other things that would cause that would be a bad infection or sepsis. So they're very, very tachypnic. And they have a low CO2 level. So a couple other ones to think about in there too. What if they're just, what if they're not obstructive? What if they're just not breathing? What group of patients would that, would that include? What if their respiratory rates too? Right. Yeah, the overdose patients. Right, overdose same, patients. Same hypercapnia. And, and then the other one to think about too is, is in relation to elevations is a relative elevation. Sometimes that can occur when we have return of spontaneous circulation. So a patient may have, when you start CPR and in title of 20 and it pops up to 30 or 35 in the middle of your resuscitation, that's not an elevation in the sense that it's not higher than normal. It's higher than where you started. Sometimes that can help us too. So it makes me think of ROSC or the same thing would be as like seizure monitoring, right? What would you see in a seizure? Exactly. Same thing. Now let's go to one of, uh, I'm going to pass this one to you because this is one of your, uh, I think uh, stone tablet on the mountain commandments of, of EMS medicine. If you intubate a patient and the end title drops, do we have a debate here? Is there a multiple choice? Is there's, there multiple answers? What is that? There's absolutely no debate. Pull that tube, pull it, pull it, pull it, right? Nothing. It, we do a really, really good job in EMS in our clinical exam, but understand that we are fallible human beings. And all those old axioms of, you know, I saw the tube go through the cords, Doc, but you better have a look or, or give it a check because it was a rough ride in, right? That's usually an esophageal tube. Um, I mean, I think you can't say it any other way. This has a very consistent pattern in every misplaced tube I have ever seen, right? It's about uh, 15 centimeters uh, of CO2 initially, and then it goes down to about eight, and then it drops down, has this little stair step right down to zero. That is an esophageal tube, okay? Just pull it. I don't care who thought they saw it go in or fog in the tube, which, by the way, is up to 80% of esophageal tubes, right? It's been documented. They have fog in the tube as well. 
chest rise in the clinical exam, right, is present. All those things are present. You have a normal clinical exam in one-fifth, right? 20% of patients with a documented normal clinical exam had an esophageal tube. So doesn't make CO2. The patient's either way, way dead, probably not, if you're resuscitating them and trying to put a tracheal tube in them, or it's in the esophagus. So I pull those tubes. So one more time, in case you missed that one, we don't think you did, but this is one of the more important points on any of the podcasts we've ever done for all of our MCHD medics out there. If you intubate a patient and the end title drops, the tube is misplaced, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And some of that information that Dr. Dixon just mentioned is is really interesting from a, from a research standpoint. You know, fog in tube, 80% of esophageal tubes. You know, that's one of the things we all document. I mean, I, I was talk, doc, taught to document that from day one. Chest rise and breath sounds in 20% of esophageal tubes. So those things are important. We're not telling you not to look for those. But the gold standard, the end all, the be all, is that end title number. And if it drops, the tube needs to come out. So that is the number one, the paramount. If you had to pick one use for end title in our service, in your service, that's where we're going to use it. We're going to use it to confirm our airways. But there are some other useful situations. And we've talked about some of these already uh, in passing. And we'll hit them in a little more detail. CPR and return of circulation. Asthma, COPD, diagnostic and therapeutic, or at least following your therapeutic interventions. Uh, obstructive in the breast stacking situation in a ventilated patient. Hemorrhagic shock and DKA. So take entitle and CPR uh, for me and tell the listeners how, how we use it there and how it can be sort of a guide for us. Okay, so we shoot for a goal of 20 millimeters of mercury when we're assessing whether the adequacy of our compressions, how good are we doing with our CPR? And then we simply monitor it for a jump. And as Casey said earlier, you may not get a jump to normal, but you're going to get a jump. If they have return of spontaneous circulation, look for a jump of greater than 10 millimeters of mercury, right? And then don't forget, if you have it available, utilize point of care ultrasound. We do here at MCHD. It's, it's I think, very, very important and a big part of our resuscitations here. And this is one of those uh, topics that we've recently talked about with our uh, with our medics here and, and rolling out our new ultrasound tool, the butterfly, and that is the, the concept of pseudo-PEA. And that is the idea that we're not very good, we being emergency physicians, emergency nurses, human paramedics, beings. human <laughs> beings, we're not very good at, at, at palpating pulses, especially in a poorly perfusing patient. So there is a group of patients out there that we've called PEA, i.e., we see electricity on the monitor and we don't feel a pulse that we know that there is a subsection of that group that when you put the ultrasound on, what do you see? A vigorously beating heart that's either not being likely not being filled. So that's the patient that needs fluids and needs pressors. And that end title may be a guide from when that patient goes from true PEA to pseudo PEA. So that ultrasound can be abridged for you. So that's end title and CPR Picture's worth a thousand words here. We're going to include some tracings in our show notes. I'm not going to sing the Baby Shark song. I tried to get him to sing the Baby Shark song. My kids are too old. I don't really know the Baby Shark song. You got to talk about shark fins. This would not be complete without talking about shark fins. We are going to talk about shark fins. Uh, uh, Lee, this this one's for you. When you see the shark fin, that is a visual representation of CO2 obstruction exiting the lungs. So if... If you don't see that nice squared off plateau and you see that shark fin, 
that's a sign that you've got airway inflammation. So either that's asthma, the inflammatory autoimmune type uh, younger patient, or it's the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, the COPD, you know, destructed lungs from, from often years of smoking. That's the older smokers. And when we see that patient that calls us for shortness of breath and we show up and they're tripoding and they're wheezing and they've been, you know, hitting their inhaler, hitting their nebulizer all afternoon long. And we hook them up to the monitor and we see tachycardia and we see a SAD of 89 and we see, you know, an ill appearing patient. We put the entitle on them and we get 60, 65. That's diagnostic. It's a, it's a shoe in at that point. But like you said earlier, the other thing that we can do with that patient is what are we going to do at that point? What's our next steps? Right. We give very carefully during the age of COVID uh-huh. some type of beta agonist. And many times that's IM epinephrine now for the asthmatic patient. And then we're going to, it's going to help us monitor that therapy. So we can use the entitle to help make the diagnosis on the, on the front end and then on the back end to gauge our therapy. How's our therapeutic intervention, whether that's now butyrol MDI very carefully with the spacer these days where it's IM epinephrine in some obstructive disease. And more delayed down the line, things like steroids and, and magnesium right. and, and the full, you know, the full meal deal that we give to our asthma COPD patients. So if we pick them up in their 60 and we drop them at the ED in their 48, we can see that our therapeutics have worked and it really helps to confirm our diagnosis. So that's, that's a real value in that, in that shark fin look. So take a look at the uh, tracings we put up in the show notes and that'll, that'll help kind of burn that in your brain. What about the high pressure vent alarm? We've talked some about vents here at MCHD over the past couple of years. We've gotten some new sleek uh, trim vents for our, for our ambulances. We're lucky. How can Entitle help in that high pressure vent alarm? What's, what's the tracing look like when that alarm goes off sometimes. Right. I mean, I think that that is, uh, that it's a perfect segue that you talked about obstructive diseases, asthma and COPD. Remember, we set the rate of the vent at MCHD, 10, 20, and 30. So 10 for COPD and asthma, 20 for everybody with normal physiology, and then 30, or 30, I'm sorry, for a metabolic acidosis, right? So we're helping, we're going to help the patient compensate for their metabolic acidosis. Why do we set it at 10? Because of this idea of breast stacking. You can see in your mind's eye, you put, uh, you put a patient on the ventilator, you put in 500 cc's of gas, but you set it at 20, and then the patient doesn't have time. Maybe they can only expire 475 cc's. So every breath that you give that patient, if they are only expiring two-thirds or three-quarters or whatever fraction that is, you're going to have extra gas in the lungs themselves. And that's what this idea of breast stacking is really deleterious for twofold. A, it will worsen uh, their ventilatory status, uh, and you're going to see them develop some hypoxemia, essentially. And then you may see some hypotension. You can see cardiovascular collapse. Why? Because you left all this pressure inside the chest. So what's going to happen? The high uh, pressure alarm is going to be going off. How do we sort this out? The number one thing I do is decrease your uh, respiratory rate. So at 20, right, you have three seconds for that. And at 10, you have six seconds for that. Exactly. So right. you gave yourself more time. More time to 
exhale those gases. So that's what it means. We talked about fussing around with the IDE ratio. I'm not a big proponent of that. I really, I turn in all these patients, I turned down the, I turned down the rate. I think you can mess with the IDE ratio. I just find I'm not very good at it. So for the listeners out there, the IDE ratio is the inspiration to expiration. Normally one second for inspiration, two for expiration. And if you've got obstruction, you need more time for expiration. So that number can be, that ratio can be changed one to three, one to four even. And that's a, that's a vent setting that you can change if you have that. Um, again, that's kind of, I would agree. I turned the, the I vent turn down, the rate the down, rate down first. first. It's the easiest and to do. And remember shark fin patients and the shark fin morphology is going to be seen in patients that are spontaneously ventilating. So you're not, you're going to see that return to baseline, which eat with each breath, the classic entitled tracing for that high pressure ventilarm breast stacking patient is you have climbing entitled values with a climbing baseline, because why is that baseline climbing? Just like you said, you're leaving extra gas, you're leaving in extra gas in. So that's a, a pretty classic looking tracing. Again, we can't do visuals, but we'll add them into the, um, We'll add them into the show notes, and this is probably a good one for us to put together for Podcast 360 on YouTube so we can show, go through some of these tracings and, and talk through this again. Entitle and trauma, that's another one that's becoming more and more uh, supported in the literature as that declining entitle and trauma is bad. And this makes sense, right? We talked about it at the beginning. Where does that CO2 come from? It comes from perfusion and aerobic metabolism. And most trauma patients, again, aren't having a COPD exacerbation, so they don't have ventilatory issues. So if they have declining CO2 during transport, that's a sign they're not perfusing and they're not metabolizing. That's, a, that's bad news. That's bleeding out until proven otherwise. There's good, good literature that shows that entitle is inversely proportional to lactate. In other words, entitle goes down, lactate's going up. That just makes sense, right? Lactate's a uh, a marker of poor perfusion. So decreasing entitle and trauma equals increased mortality risk. How can we use this in REMS setting? If we see that, then we need to be uber aggressive with these patients. Access, TXA, blood products if you have blood products, fluids if that's all you have. Do everything that you can to maximize and uh, you know optimize that patient. Even simple things like warming the patient you know, cause they're going to get coagulopathic. So watch for that entitled decline in trauma, because if you see that, that's the sick patients. How about EMS diagnosing diabetic ketoacidosis? We've talked about this some recently over the past couple months on some of our, uh, medic nightly podcasts and our, uh, our video cast with zoom. Cause now everything's zoom. Sorry. I said podcast. I meant zoom cast, <laughs> but tell the listeners out there who aren't EMCHG medics, some of the ways that we can use entitle and DKA. It's just not possible without an ISTAT or an ABG doctor. No, I'm just Keep teasing. Keep going. Keep I'm going. just teasing. Keep that going. was, that was the teaser. So it, it is really useful. That's why entitle can be used it is, you know, it's going to help us make this diagnosis. And as we gave an example of earlier with the asthmatic patient, it can, it can gauge your therapy, how appropriate and effective is your therapy. So there's lots of data, mounting data to pair the entitle CO2 with a blood glucose in the right clinical scenario. So you have a patient there, it's young, it's a, maybe it's a known diabetic patient. Um, they're a little bit lethargic. They're noted to be very, very tachypnic and your blood glucose meter on ours would just read high. 
right? So presumptively, you could make that diagnosis of DK, but could you really be certain? And that's how where the end title comes in. There's some good evidence out there that with a low end title, the average in, in diabetic ketoacidosis is 15 versus non-DKA patients is about 35 amongst all populations. So uh, some studies show that when you pair those two together, a low end title, less this in the one paper, less than 21 with a glucose greater than 550, it was 100% sensitive and specific for DKA. So it makes sense to us. People in DKA uh, have do not have their insulinopenic, so they don't have enough insulin. They can't. They have too much glucose, and they develop an acidemia. They essentially burn their fat, and uh, the byproduct of that is is ketoacids or acetone. Uh, and as this, as they compensate, they get more tachypnic and uh, take really deep, these big, deep, small breaths. Why? Because they're trying to compensate for their metabolic acidosis. So we would see the end tidal go down in those patients. So low end tidal, you don't have to remember number, high glucose in the right clinical scenario, I'd think DKA. And the flip side's also true, right? If you have a patient with a sugar of 400 and the end tidal's 40, they don't have DKA. Correct. So you can also use that normal value in the hyperglycemic patient to help you as well. So really it's the extremes. Now, somebody could drop a scenario where, well, what if their sugar is 290 and they've got an end title of 28? Well, then it's not helpful. Then we're not, then we're not sure. But if you've got really low end title and high blood glucose in the right clinical scenario, that's DKA. And if you've got high blood sugar and a normal end title, it's probably not. And so that's, that can be really helpful, especially when we're thinking about treating secondary hyperkalemia. So if we're thinking, okay, this is a DKA patient, I see peak T waves, and we treat our hyperkalemia here at MCHD. We used to treat it with albuterol, rest in peace. We now treat it with, <laughs> with calcium and bicarb alone because the NEBs have gone away, thanks COVID. But if I had a patient with a sugar of 500 and an end title of 45, probably not DKA probably not hyperkalemia. So that's a situation where it can really be helpful from a, a therapeutic standpoint as well. So that gets us to take-home points. When you start thinking about entitled CO2, think about the three places that it comes from. It's going to come from metabolism, it's going to come from perfusion, and it's going to come from ventilation. So all three of those things have to be functioning for us to get the entitled of 35 to 45 out to our equipment and get a reading. Declining end tidal equals misplaced endotracheal tube until proven otherwise, period, end of sentence, no ifs, ands, or buts. If you don't remember any other thing from the podcast, remember that one. Shark fin, think about asthma, think about COPD. Breast stacking is going to be an elevation of the end tidal as well, but it's not going to return to baseline because you're keeping that air in the lung so it keeps climbing. Declining end tidal in trauma patients is bad. That equals increasing lactate. That's poor perfusion. That's time to think about fluids and access and warming, blood, TXA, trauma alert, all the things that we do to get our trauma patients off scene quickly and into definitive care. And finally, if the end tidal CO2 is normal, it's probably not DKA. 
So that's some, that's some entitled basics for you. Anything you want to add before we close up? No, great piece. Thanks, Casey. So this is, this is something that really is ubiquitous now in EMS. We wanted to take a, take a second just to review some of the, the high points. If you have questions or concerns, as always, email us at the podcast email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. Thanks for listening. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to everyone again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.